I think that when you ask ChatGPT to write you something, you will run across instances where you're like, wow, that has passion and soul. And I want to be very blunt and say, no, it doesn't. You, the reader, the human, are bringing that to the table. You are reacting to, and what's dangerous, you know, the question earlier of, will the writing get better? Will it ever write a bestseller? It could, it very well could. Because when you receive a book, unless you like go looking for information about the author, unless you read the acknowledgements at the end or whatever, you don't know anything about that person. You don't know if it's, if it is a person, right? I made the joke that like, maybe you interviewing me right here is just an AI that, you know, has your voice, has learned to emulate your voice. We rely on our guts. We rely on, well, you know, you have quirks of speech and uh, I don't know, you laughed at something I said and like, would the AI know to do that? It doesn't feel like it would, but we can be tricked. The AIs are getting real good at it. Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Neil Holtschulte, thank you so much for joining Speculative Sandbox again. This is now the third? Is this your third episode with us? This is my third episode, yeah. That's right, yes. And we are following up the first episode where you talked about artificial intelligence. And so much, I feel, has happened since that last episode. So I thought it was time to catch up. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so first, um, let's do a quick icebreaker to get to get our muscles going. Um, so tell- I'm going to, I'm going to preempt you just slightly oh, if I may, Yes, because the last time we talked, mm-hmm. you asked me, I think like coffee or tea. And I said, tea. And you said, what's your favorite tea? And I was like, ah, I forget exactly. Uh-huh. Well, I looked it up. <laughs> okay. So it's New Mexico tea company, hot cinnamon. Oh, I love hot cinnamon. Yeah. Okay. So you can order online. I checked. It's NMTCO, and that's NMTEACO.com. And hot cinnamon is the one that I really like. And how do you take it? Is it just like straight, or do you add milk or hot, cold? How do you like it? No, this one, um, hot for sure, Um, but not, this is not a milk one. And I think you'll taste it and you'll know that that wouldn't be a great idea. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, you could could add sugar to it, but I, I like it just as is. I'm the same way. I don't like adding sugar as well. I've been really getting, I can't do a whole lot of caffeine. I drink like all the day, the whole, all day. So sure. as you get later in the day, um, I have to eliminate the caffeine. So I've been really loving herbal teas that are fruit and like flower based. And then I learned how to, maybe this is not the right way to do this, but I got it from a, a boba tea book where you steep in like a small, a very small dose of water in like almost a, like three fourths of a tablespoon of the actual leaf, like mixture. And it's like, a, you make a concentration that way. And then you pour it over the full glass full of ice. 
And of course, it's going to melt down and everything. But because it was so concentrated, it's now going to be watered down to the correct ratio. And then just mm. top it off with some extra water. I didn't realize that that's how you make an iced tea right in the moment. I thought you'd have to go through like the long arduous process of like waiting for it to cool down. And then I've been to some ice uh, tea shops where I think that they they don't do it as concentrated initially. So it's really watered down when you get it. But anyway, mm. I thought I'd share. I got really excited when I learned that trick. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Maybe we, maybe somebody else listening could, I don't do iced tea personally, but, oh, okay. <laughs> but maybe, yeah, I mean, hopefully that's helpful to somebody. Well, do you, you live, you don't live in a desert, right? You live. I do. I live in Albuquerque. You live and you only drink hot tea. That does seem weird. Doesn't it? That's yes. Amazing. Um, <laughs> but yes, that is actually correct. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that is a hundred percent correct. Because I was going to say, I live in the desert. I can't have hot tea, but you're you're kind of proving me wrong here. <laughs> so. I mean, I only have it in the morning. Oh, okay. Coolest part of the day, I suppose. Gotcha. Okay. Well, all right. So that's just some fun questions to ask you. So you teach, correct? Yes. I teach computer science, which is relevant. Very relevant. Okay. So then what grade level or is it college? Um, I teach at CNM, which is Central New Mexico Community College. Okay. All righty. And so without giving too much information about like specific students, of course, but like, what is like the funniest thing you've ever encountered with your students? Oh, um, okay. The, the story that pops into my mind is from when I was teaching at a high school, um, where I was giving some lecture and some student raised their hand and asked a question and it was a perfectly normal question. And I answered it. And then some other student raised their hand and asked the exact same question. And okay. I could just see that they'd been just like totally zoned out and then Aww. just like come to and like tried to like figure out what was going on <laughs> and had literally asked the exact same question. And I was, I was a little, you know, uh, irritated. And I just pointed at the girl in the back row and I was like, that's what she said. And the whole class erupted <laughs> because I'd used the phrase, that's what she said. <laughs> Um, and I obviously hadn't meant it like as a sexual thing, but oh man, high schoolers, they just, they just went crazy for that of one. Of course they did. And what, what a great way to provide levity in what could have otherwise been like super embarrassing moment for That's a true. student. That's you true. Know? It was fun. Everybody had fun. I think that day. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. And then yeah. I, okay. We've covered tea. We've covered teaching. Okay. So then segueing into our topic and you talked about your you teach software and software com what was it software computing software engineering so i teach computer science now computer i science. mean realistically i'm teaching relatively early level stuff so it is basically i'm teaching programming okay gotcha and i guess my very simple question to you is has artificial intelligence impacted you in any way yet um sure yeah uh, i think most of the impact has been relatively minor um, okay. There's certainly been a ton of interest in it. I mean, there was interest, uh, you know, back in 2019 when I was teaching at the high school um, and I was incorporating AI stuff into the curriculum because of the strong interest in it, even at that time. So it's definitely impacted my, my teaching in that way. Um, you know, we're going to get into talking about chat GPT and other stuff, of course, but I've had students say that they use it, use chat GPT in particular to they ask it to explain code to them. Ooh. And the first time I had a student say that, I was really like, 
oh shoot, I actually need to pay attention to what this AI stuff is and like really figure out what it can do. And honestly, that's uh, that was shortly before. I mean, I think partly this conversation was spurred because um, I had sent you a, a link to a video that I made on my YouTube channel showing my interaction with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And it was largely spurred by that student's comment and me thinking like, well, I better figure this out. Yeah, because now the chat GPT is the teacher and what else could it be teaching and affect us as teachers? Yeah, and I have very mixed feelings about it as a teacher. And when I say that, I really mean it. Like Mm -hmm. I have some very positive, uh, optimistic uh, feelings about it as a teacher and other very serious concerns. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like no matter what what I'm picking up is that There's a lot of people with concerns, very valid concerns, but it seems like the world continues to move towards that. So like, for example, the writing industry, there's a lot of discourse right now online about how, you know, the ethics and the use of of artificial intelligence, whether it shouldn't be used at all, even as like a research tool to, of course, people using it to write whole books and then clog the submission process. Um, Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have the younger generations and industries whole industries embracing it and before you know it it's it's like you're gonna get hit by that wave right you you want to hold off the wave you don't know what the wave's gonna do and you're worried about the negative impacts but the wave's coming and and, like do you feel that way too yes i do um i feel that this is something that is going to be pervasive i think that's the right word to use i don't think it's going to be as massively impactful as a lot of people who are saying that uh, a lot of people are saying that because they want, you know, views and they want the clickbait. Um, But I do think it's something that is going to be pervasive. And I think that's why it's really important to understand what it can and can't do and what it is and what it isn't. And of course, I want to talk with you about science fiction books and such. And I also though, like, I also want to hopefully help some people understand what this thing is and what it is not. Gotcha. Okay, well, then let's start with what has changed in the world since we last spoke. And I feel like the biggest thing for the writing community in particular is the release of ChatGPT. So how, what are your thoughts on ChatGPT and what it's doing to the writing industry? Yeah, well, first, let me just give some ChatGPT thoughts and info, because the, like, I, I made that video and I sent you the link, but that video was all about computer programming, because I was interested in it as a programming teacher. And honestly, um, my experience with it was exceedingly impressive. I was blown away. I asked it to do a variety of things. One thing was I gave it an incorrect student's uh, assignment. I gave it a turned in assignment from a student. And I said, can you tell me what's wrong with this code? And it gave a flawless and comprehensive description of the problems in the code. And there was more than one problem. And then I said, okay, can you fix it? And it fixed it perfectly. And, you know, not only that, but even without prompting, it told me why the, the changes it had made were correct and fixed it. And it was accurate about that. Now, I pushed it a little bit harder. I said, I noticed you made this decision uh, in your implementation. And it said, yeah, because that's like the correct way to do it for blah, blah, blah reasons. And I said, well, but the way I had done it was also correct. And it said, no. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because it was wrong. I had written an example bit of code as a teaching example. 
And as a teacher, I think it's often important to write something to be more simple, even if it's not as efficient. So it was correct code, but it wasn't the most efficient way to do the same thing. Mm, okay. And ChatGPT told me that was wrong. And I, and I pressed it and I said, okay, well, give me an example where my code would be incorrect and yours would be right. And it literally gave me a number and it told me that I, I kept wrangling it. I kept pressing it. And it eventually told me that 50, five zero was smaller than 29. Oh. And I was like, oh, well, okay. I'm really glad that it keeps all of its conversations and that I can always bring that back up and show how <laughs> like, yeah. So my point of telling that story is ChatGPT can be wrong about things. It won't necessarily know that it's wrong. And I mean, that's less than one of if you're using an AI such as ChatGPT, a generative model, in this case, a, you know, generating text, you need to know that it might be very wrong. Um, mm -hmm. I think we get, we get a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We get lulled into a sense of security by how competent it is in so many ways that we don't think it can just be like flat out factually wrong but it doesn't actually understand what it's saying. Um, and what I mean by that is the way it works is it predicts what words come next, but it doesn't know anything about mm. those words. Like if I asked it is 50 greater than 29, it would say yes, because it can predict based on having seen things before. But like, it doesn't understand the word 50. And like, this is a bad example. A better example is, you know, anything you'd experience in the real world. And I like to use the example of an orange, the fruit. It doesn't understand what an orange is. It understands what the word orange is associated with. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different thing. So then you result in word salads, which I've I've gotten when I would ask ChatGPT things. And there are times where it's, I'm trying to understand, basically I'm using it like a curated Google where I'm, sure. I'm too lazy to go through other people's articles and stuff like that. And so I go, okay, if this thing fell off of a rocket, what, 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 what piece would likely fall off a rocket? So rather uh -huh. than me going and looking up anatomy of rockets, <laughs> you know, then ChatGPT <laughs> will actually start engaging in world building hypotheticals with me. And there have been times yes. where um, it kind of gets a little confused. I think that's where you get, I think there's a term, it's like it starts to hallucinate where mm. it gives you information that when you read it, you're like, that makes zero sense. That's a little freaky. I wanted to share one encounter I had with uh, with ChatGPT. So I, when I first started exploring with him, wondering what it was, um, I decided I was like, you know what? I want to let's say I want to try world building a character. I want to write a world. I want to have a cult leader in this world I'm creating. It's a futuristic, you know, um, last society on earth kind of situation. Of course, it's going to be a cult. Well, I want to actually really unpack cult leader behaviors and then have a parallel with government structure because a lot of my story has to do with like government and stuff like that. So then it eventually led me to talk about. Um, what am I? Uh, fascism. <laughs> I started mm -hmm. asking it questions about fascist leaders and characteristics and stuff like that. Like I was just literally, I was just curious because I wanted to do this development. And that's when Chad GPT literally slammed down the gate and said, 
this is um, as a you know a language generative program. This is not appropriate <laughs> information. You should not be trying to develop characters after fascism. Um, like yeah. literally, just told me we're not giving you any more information. So I said, but my character is the villain. And they go, oh, well, in that case. And then they start unloading all this stuff about fascism. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I thought about that for a while. Because yeah. like, so you, that's working. interesting. So you had a very organic experience with something that I've definitely uh, seen a lot of people talking about online, where okay. it does have this safety feature where it's not supposed to tell you certain things. Mm-hmm. But like, it's a super easy safety feature to get around. Yeah. Well, and, and like, I, like your thing was like, oh no, I know this is wrong. It's a bad guy. And it's like, oh, by all means then let me tell you all this stuff that otherwise I'm not supposed to tell you. <laughs> yes. Well, then what worried me was that could those controls, like who's running these controls, right? Like for instance, just because fascism is perceived to be a bad negative thing, doesn't mean that people should be limited from learning about fascism, especially when it's like, you want to look Absolutely. back on history. Absolutely. So I, that scared me actually, when Chad yes. GPT basically said, we're not telling you that information. Yes. Very, very reasonable. Um, and it, you know, I've, I've listened, I prepared for this conversation we were going to have, and I listened to a number of other uh, videos and podcasts and things, and it comes up a lot with sex. So a lot of sex stuff is, it won't, it won't tell you, but like, Mm. it also won't educate you about sex. Right. Um, Which like could be a very positive thing. Yeah. But having to figure out like how to figure, how to set up the safety settings so that it will educate you about sex but it won't like you know i don't know you know create i mean even like writing erotica is like it's not a bad thing i don't know i feel like for the text ones like the sex thing is not such a bad like i don't know what they're afraid it's gonna do i mean mostly they're afraid they're gonna get in trouble with you know the law or whatever Mm -hmm. i feel like that's much more of a problem with the visual uh the image generating ais yeah but nonetheless chat gpt the way it works is it has a lot of filters set up for like sexual content um which means you can't i mean you can't ask it questions that you might legitimately want the answer to in an educational way wait wait, because isn't there a paid version of chat gpt uh, yes. And unfortunately I have not paid for it. That is not something that I am willing to do. And so <laughs> I do not have any experience with the paid version. So that, that got me worried too, because now you're talking about, and I get it. We're in a capitalistic society. You pay for a service, but <laughs> it's one of those things where when you start establishing ease of information based off of what you're willing to pay, as far as like a, I don't know, I, I consider like the internet to be like a general good, like a public good especially in today's society where we're all very much reliant on it. Um, It it just kind of worries me as far as like, okay, does that mean the free version is going to have all these restrictions? And if I'm a low income student and I can't afford the in, you know, and regular Google is just not efficient anymore because this is like the post AI world. um, How disadvantaged am I going to be compared to someone who grew up in a, you know, a higher income household, they can afford chat GP 10 or whatever. And now they have access to more information. Absolutely. We had a little um, social media exchange over this exact idea. And I loved the idea that, I mean, you said like, I see the internet as a, as a I think you said a social good or a common good, mm-hmm. um, but it's not like I'm with you. I agree that it ought to be 
at least, you know, the large majority of the educational portions or, I mean, you just, people should have internet access. It's such an important thing for our society right now um, that I hate that, you know, we have two monopolies that might as well be one between, you know, Comcast and the other one, whatever the other one is. Um, but like, and then even within it, like Google practically owns everything, right? <laughs> within mm -hmm. the internet. And I hate that. And I think that it ought to be a public good. And I think that, you know, using that word pervasive, these AIs, I do think they are going to become pervasive. And I think limiting who gets access to them is a really bad idea because they do have potential. Like I said, I really do think, especially in education, that they have massive potential. They're not perfect. People need to understand how they're not perfect. And, you know, they're currently not being designed with education in mind. Um, and I think that's a problem as well. But like, oh my gosh, they could be such a public good. Uh, Agreed. And it's up to the society yeah. to establish what is the public good, right? Because I honestly think if libraries were not already there, we would have a very hard time establishing them today. I think uh, you're right. It, which is sad, but I like we consider at one point books and you know reading and books to be a public good. So now we have access to that. Um, a public and good. And libraries do, and libraries do often provide internet as a public mm -hmm. good as well. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I mean, working in local government, we provide parks. Everyone, pay, of course, people pay for that through their tax like tax dollars go towards those things. But to me, mm -hmm. it's like it's the it's the constant push and pull between you know corporations running things that are being like not just used by the general pop population, but becomes like a standard societal expectation to have yeah. these, th that access, which is where I start thinking, okay, it needs to shift now from like something that's a privilege that you could pay for to something that was beneficial to everyone. But maybe I'm a little too progressive. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you are, then I'm in the same boat. Okay. Fair enough. So I went to a PR conference a couple months ago that really like before I was kind of ignoring the AI 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 I've said it too many times it doesn't sound like a real word anymore debate because I'm just happily writing in my little Google Doc and I'm not really using yep. AI at any point at that time and I knew people were using it to like you know write whole stories and submit them and I was like like of course that's awful and it's easy to say that but when I went to this PR conference they started to like teach us how to use AI for PR purposes that made me realize how prevalent this is and that industries, whether or not the writing community likes it, other industries are embracing it. So we're going to get swept along. Right. And yeah. they talked about using AI to, to automate press releases to, you know, all these things that I was like, oh yeah, I can definitely see how people would use as that as a good tool. However, on the flip side, you have entrepreneurs and you know corporations where the ceo would be the one to like look over what a copywriter would draft for their press release and then say fix this or fix that well now they can use ai as their copywriter so now you have uh communications and marketing pios losing their jobs all over the place especially for like startups because ai has that. so i find it so interesting that this industry i'm involved in can be like embrace it but at the same time you're losing your job because of it because your boss is embracing it. So what yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So your original question before I got a little sidetracked there was, you know, what is the writing community impact? And you started to get into it there for copywriters, right? Absolutely. Huge impact. Like literally some of them losing their jobs over this and tons of people, I think losing, you know, gig work where it's a small little job. You know, I need copy edit for this small piece of media or whatever, right? <clears throat> 
And now we'll just be like, well, just ask the AI to do it, right? We gotta mm-hmm. we gotta revise it and check it over anyway. Let's just skip to that step. Yes. And I think that's a big impact that is having right now. That's one of them. Um, is that and it's the small fish, you know, you mentioned the startups, right? The people that most want to use the AI are the folks who are pinching pennies already, but now, you know, those pennies used to be distributed to other people who needed their pennies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the small artists and writers who were trying to make ends meet by doing these small jobs, you know, a little bit of ghost writing on the side, a little bit of artwork for somebody's uh, board game or somebody's cover of their book or whatever, right? And now it's just like, oh, well, I just asked the AI to generate my book cover. I just asked the AI to, uh, I don't know what they would need their copy edit for, or, you know, ask the AI to write the whole book. Mm -hmm. So I did, uh, I watched a number of videos. Uh, I skimmed most of them because they were very samey, but I watched a number of videos that were promising me to tell me how I could use ChatGPT to write my novel and, you know, pump out a novel a month. Some of them oh. promising me a bestseller a month, which is ridiculous. Um, but uh, I watched a bunch of these videos and here's my takeaway. They're, they're scammers, right? They're getting, they're putting up clickbait titles to get people to watch their video. I do not see that the current iteration of ChatGPT or probably the next one is going to write a best-selling novel unless people are just buying it for the novelty of seeing what an AI's writing looks like. But honestly, if you want to see that, just go to the website and ask it to write you something. Mm-hmm. It's not very good. I've also interacted with ChatGPT and asked it to write some things, and it's it's very underwhelming, um, is what I've found. However, you know your concern of the submission pipeline being clogged. Not that it wasn't already like just nearly choked out, you know, already, you know, I saw a tweet from an agent because I'm in the querying process and I saw a tweet from an agent who I was interested in say, my backlog is 500 submissions. And, you know, my heart just sank at that, like, oh, good. Well, 501 coming your way. (laughs) Oh, no, it's a Um, it's a heartbreaking process. I was I am on submission. It took after an agent submitted a manuscript two years to get through the pile on the editor's desk. (laughs) It's crazy. Goodness. (laughs) Not to disappoint you, though. Keep going. You're going to do great. Yeah. yeah. No, I I am. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the idea that these people are using AI to write books, you know, I do have it is easy to say, like, that's bad. And I do think it's bad. Um, I think it's bad for a variety of reasons. I think that these people are, A of all, not interested in writing. They're interested in succeeding, which is a different thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And these videos promising you that you're going to use ChatGPT, I mean, here's the summary of what they're doing. Go to any web page that's like, here's how to create a character. We have this character sheet. You just fill in all the details and then you'll know your character. It's that, but it's like for the whole story. It's like, Mm -hmm. What's the atmosphere of your story? What's the genre of your story? What's the theme of your story? And it's literally just like fill in the blanks and then plug that into ChatGPT and ask it to write you an outline. Great, now you've got the outline. Take each piece of the outline and ask it to write you a chapter. Great, now you've got all the chapters, you know, Frankenstein them together. And now you've got a novel. Congratulations, you can publish it. Mm. And like, you could do that and people have, 
but the writing is very, very mediocre. It's competent. It doesn't have mistakes, but it's uninspired. Um, it has very little voice. Uh, however, one of the things that many people suggest is that you ask it to write in the style of or act as if it was. I literally had a video, I watched a video where somebody said, you can ask it to write in the style of Nora Roberts or Stephen King. And I was like, whoa, alarm bells. Wow. That seems very immoral. That seems like you're copying or really you're not copying, but you're just asking the machine to copy these very prolific and popular authors. That you, is in my mind, just very wrong. Do you think when speaking to when you're talking about how it's like not very inspiring, kind of rudimentary, or at least like not very well done with the writing, do you think that's going to improve in five years? I don't know if it's going to improve, but one of the things as I continue to do the research really struck me was I had fallen into the assumption that it would not improve. And I think that that is a bad assumption. I think it is very possible. And I think people who think that like, well, it can't ever write as well as a human. Oh, I think you're wrong. Um, and I think that you need to be prepared for it writing uh, in a more inspired fashion because the leaps and bounds gains that it's made already, we don't know if it's going to get a lot better or if this is the best, if this is as good as it gets. We just don't know. And so I don't think you can assume that it will not get better. It is very possible that it'll pump something out and people will be like, oh my gosh, you have to read this. It's just inspired. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And that may be, you know, that, that may be it. And I don't know exactly what to say about that other than, you know, do you want to read something that a human didn't write? I guess what I'm asking is how important to the reader is it that you're reading in a sense to form a human connection with a stranger for sure, but nonetheless a human. Mm -hmm. You know, That's if you want to just be entertained, then I don't see any problem with you reading an AI written book. But I do sort of see a problem with the economics of, well, if writers can't support themselves and some of us want to read to connect with a human author, are we going to be able to do that if it's just AI pumping out bestsellers. You ready to get into some fiction? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what that made me think of, what that made me think of was, so when you sent the outline, um, you had, you know, a variety of questions we might discuss. And I think we're all out of order, but that's fantastic. Let's be okay. out of order. Let's be unpredictable. Let's be human and messy. Let's um, do it. At first I was like, gosh, you know, I can't think of a lot of speculative fiction that is applicable, but that was because I was asking myself, about speculative fiction that I've read about AI. And that fiction does not apply, in my opinion. Because okay. a lot of times when writers write about AI, they're really personified. I mean, the AI is humanistic in very many ways. And this is not. It doesn't have feelings. It doesn't even have goals. It certainly doesn't have emotion or self-awareness or any of that, right? It's not the Terminator. It's not Agent Smith from the Matrix. Um, but an author that popped into my mind as more relevant than ever was Philip K. Dick. Because what are some of the things that Philip K. Dick was sort of struggling with in his novels, like thematically? It's stuff like, what does it mean to be human? 
and how do we know that our memories are our own and how do we know that we are the person that we were yesterday you know it's it's these very like i mean dude almost certainly had some i don't know if he was ever officially diagnosed but he almost certainly had some mental issues and i know he was on a lot of drugs um so i think these questions were very real for him mm -hmm. and the AI, like ChatGPT and other things, I mean, there's like the voice imitation AIs where you like feed it audio clips and then it'll imitate that voice. Uh, there's of course the image generation ones. Um, you know, there's now there's like uh, video generation AIs. We're at a point where anything we experience through a digital medium cannot be trusted, right? You know, it's scary. It's a scary thought. Am I am I having a conversation with you, or did you just have an AI get set up uh, with your voice to interview me for your podcast? What a time saver that would be for you to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> I of course don't think you actually did that, but and I don't think they're they're not quite. Some of them are quite convincing, and some of them like definitely the cracks show through. But we're right on that cusp. I mean, especially the ones that uh, I did not know about until I started doing research for our conversation were the voice imitation AIs. Mm -hmm. And I did not realize that I was listening to a voice imitation AI in a variety of those circumstances until the punchline was, haha, that was a computer the whole time. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Am I allowed to swear on here? I don't know. Yes, anyway. <laughs> So well, that makes me think of, have you heard the ones where they take an artist and have them sing the song of another artist? That's yeah, in a completely yeah. different genre. Like Eminem is singing stuff by Billie Eilish. And it's like kind of oh, yeah. weird. That's a mashup, yeah. It's quite a mashup, but it sounds convincing. It's surprisingly convincing. Yeah, well, I mean, what I saw was, since I'm allowed to uh, swear, is, and somebody had made it very clear that this was artificial. Uh, they didn't want <laughs> to be sued, probably. But it was J.K. Rowling singing uh, Wet Ass Pussy. Oh, wow. And it was very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine she wouldn't be happy about that. No. Can you do... <sighs> kind of like how... Are there legal ramifications for this? Like, I think about revenge porn. I like, Or even cases where yeah. like girls will be photoshopped to look like they're in a porn right? Like revenge right. situations. Can that same thing be applied here? And we talked about that last time. You talked about how can things hold up in court? So um, I am not, this is, so unfortunately that's not my expertise, right? My expertise is uh, computer science. Uh, and, you know, I could, if you wanted, talk your ear off about neural networks, but that would probably <laughs> bore most of the listeners and writing as well, because I'm an author. Uh, so my understanding of the legal situation is that there are a number of lawsuits in the pipeline uh, against ChatGPT and others. And my personal opinion is that I hope the artists and writers involved take them to the cleaners. Um, but the besides the lawsuits, like the legal code and the copyright law, my understanding is that it is not up to date. It is just not set up to deal with this situation and to deal with like what this what plagiarism means or what it looks like right mm -hmm. a phrase that i did not come up with but i think is applicable and it's meant as 
a tongue-in-cheek or as it's meant as sort of a, a criticism is when you steal from one person you're plagiarizing but when you steal from hundreds or thousands of people you're doing research mm. and that's kind of i think the cheat that like chat gpt the loophole that chat gpt has kind of gotten through right is that you know when somebody asks it to write in the style of stephen king it's learned from every single piece of writing that is publicly available that either Stephen King has written or has been written about him, fan fiction about his books, like that's what its accumulated knowledge is. Is all of that actually supposed to be public? Probably not. I mean, the internet, it's really hard to keep up with making sure that things that are copyrighted don't appear on the internet. We don't all have Disney's army of lawyers to go around, you know, issuing cease and desist orders. Mm -hmm. Do you think, like, given the world of AI and how it's affecting us now, that as writers are writing their worlds, that it's not quite so speculative anymore to have artificial intelligence? I mean, it definitely depends on how you use it. So one important point that I want to make clear is that this artificial intelligence is not Skynet. It's not the Terminator. It's not Agent Smith. It doesn't have its own goals. It doesn't understand the world. And I'm not saying that it might not in the future, but at present, I think there's a real danger, especially for lay folks, to feel like there's something there that isn't. And that's a good thing in the sense of that just means that the human has empathy, I think, mm -hmm. <laughs> that they're willing to like put themselves in that other thing's shoes. Like let's go back a couple decades or one decade and a half at least where I think it was, uh, oh shoot, I don't remember who it was, but it was like the chess grandmaster at the time playing deep blue. And a quote that like came out of that was in one of the tougher games he played, he said he really felt like there was, I forget how he phrased it. I don't know if he said a soul or a human will or something like that. He felt like there was something in the other chair that was really like there as he was playing that game. He felt that there was personality in the chess play. And I think that when you ask chat gpt to write you something you will run across instances where you're like wow that has passion and soul in it and i want to be very blunt and say no it doesn't hmm. you the reader the human are bringing that to the table you are reacting to text on a screen and what's dangerous you know the question earlier of will they ever Will the writing get better? Will it ever write a bestseller? It could, it very well could. Because when you receive a book, unless you like go looking for information about the author, unless you read the acknowledgements at the end or whatever, you don't know anything about that person. You don't know if it's, if it is a person, right? I made the joke that like, maybe you interviewing me right here is just an AI that, you know, has your voice, has learned to emulate your voice. Um, we rely on our guts. We rely on, well, you know, you have quirks of speech and 
uh, I don't know, you laughed at something I said and like, would the AI know to do that? It doesn't feel like it would, but we can be tricked. Uh, and the AIs are getting real good at it. <laughs> well, we're giving us so much information with how we're fooling around with them and testing out their, its boundaries. Like it, we're just, it's almost like you're just throwing things into the black hole and it consumes everything. And then eventually you're going to see it later as like an improved version or something. Yeah. Now I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that like individuals need to be like, oh my gosh, I can't give it information because it's going to learn from me. Like, look, ChatGPT3 had 45 terabytes of raw text data that it based its learning on from the internet. Okay. The amount that like you have fed the the algorithm that you have fed, you know, ChatGPT to make it learn is just vanishingly small. And I've used it too, right? And I've had that little niggling thought in my head of like, ooh, am I teaching it? And is it is that bad? Because like, I don't actually like this thing. Um, I think, I think don't worry about that, right? That's like, oh my gosh, I need to turn off all the lights in my house for global warming. Yes, you should. But like, you know, BP is spilling oil in places and like, they're the real problem. Isaac, is it Isaac Asimov that has the rules of robotics? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I think the story itself has proven that the three rules, I think is what it was, were not enough uh, to, to keep from like a, yeah. a robot over, over uprising. Um, yeah. What do you think of those three rules as applied to chat GPT and, and like uh, programs? And then actually, yeah, maybe we should so, probably look up the three rules. Let's see. Oh, I think I think I can do it off the top of my head. Oh, go so for the it. first the first one is that you should not harm a human, nor through inaction allow a human to come to harm. Uh, you might need to look. Them up. No, you're right. You got it. There's definitely there's definitely one that's like you should obey a human unless it violates one of the other laws. Yep. Uh, and then I think the third one is that you're allowed to like pre preserve yourself unless you're violating the other two. That's correct. You got it. Nice. Cool. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, when you read his books, the books are all about like the edge cases and how those rules can be challenged and how they can go wrong or get the robot stuck in a situation where it doesn't know what to do. And that's awesome, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's what's great about Asimov is his exploration of this cool, cool idea. Um, we don't have AI the way he imagined it. ChatGPT does not have a rich internal life. It doesn't even have a poor internal life. It doesn't have an internal life. Um, it has code that runs. It has a lot of code, don't get me wrong. It has a lot. But there's this notion in our collective minds that, well, if something just gets smart enough, it'll become self-aware. And I think it's important to point out that we have no evidence for that being true. Like, I think the evidence is really a lack of evidence. The evidence is we don't know how or even why we humans are self-aware, why we have an internal life, where why we have feelings about things that we can just sort of ruminate on. And you might say, oh, well, no, it's it's evolutionarily advantageous to ruminate on things because you're you're basically running 
uh, example scenarios that you might need to, you might encounter, and you might need to know how to deal with those scenarios. But what's not evolutionarily nece necessary is that you have feelings about those things. And what I mean by that is, like, you could imagine that there's like just a, a very cold, calculated value judgment on outcomes. And that is very much what the computer does, is it has very cold, calculated value judgments on the outcomes. Either this was a good outcome for whatever the problem being solved is, or it was a bad outcome. And that is almost always specified numerically. But organisms, not just humans, of course, but you know, all kinds of organisms, uh, we sort of have this mushier uh, emotional and, and biological reaction to things. And we kind of just assume that if the machines get smart enough, they'll have that too. And they absolutely will not, or at least I don't believe they will, because I believe that that requires not only a body, but, you know, we don't understand the full relationship. You know, it's wild sometimes to think about hormones. It's a chemical compound that can be synthesized in a lab. And then, you know, you get a jolt of it and you're like, oh my gosh, I am feeling things. I mean, just even like drugs, it's wild to think like, this is a chemical compound and I am experiencing the world differently because of it. Mm -hmm. Whoa, that is not a deeply understood thing. I mean, we understand it in the sense of like, oh, well, there's molecules and they bind to certain receptors on neurons in our brain. And like, yes, okay, that is the explanation of how. <laughs> But it's not the explanation of why these things affect us in the way we do. Now, let me put it another way, because I, I, I do think this is such a vital thing. There's, oh, let's connect it to fiction. So some fiction that I do think is relevant is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, which I have to admit, I haven't actually seen the movie or, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Is it also a book? I think it is. I haven't read the book either. I same. <laughs> it's a see. little it's a little before my time, but I'm familiar with the concept, right? Okay. <laughs> so like invasion of the body snatchers or the the thing, right? A lot of the horror and the fear from these is that you don't know who has been body snatched. You don't know who is the thing, right? You're looking at all these people and outwardly they look and behave exactly like normal humans but they're not human on the inside they're this like cold evil menace and you just don't know and i think that is very relevant because we interact with chat gpt or with one of these other things and we're like oh wow i do i feel i feel that this is a human and it's not we don't need the three laws of robotics applied to chat gpt because chat gpt is fundamentally um not as capable or smart or self-aware or interesting than the robots that Asimov was writing about. It's not, ChatGPT is not going to rise up against us and I will stake my entire bank account and savings on that statement. <laughs> so it's it's really humans. Like what is what are humans going to do with AI to hurt others? Like already yeah. the people have lost their income yeah. and their livelihood because a human has decided that they prefer AI's output than to employ another human. Exactly. Yes. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head there.
Well, it made me think of when, you know, <laughs> I've seen articles where people claim to fall in love with chat GPTs. I don't know if they're real or not. Sometimes they're just so outlandish. I'm just like, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but it did get me thinking about how when people go on dates and you go on a date with someone and maybe they're kind of mysterious, maybe they're just, maybe in essence, they're just boring, but you don't <laughs> know that because you're projecting a fantasy on them. And so suddenly they're boring, non-talkative, kind of, you know, just sitting there not saying anything is, oh, he's mysterious. Oh, he mm. has like this dark inner brooding, you know, all this stuff. And then you start to feed into this thing and then you start, you don't realize that all the magic you put into some person is actually you. You're the magic or maybe yeah. you're crazy. I don't know. But like, it's, yeah, no, I love that phrase. You're the magic. You're the mm -hmm. one bringing it to the table. Um and I think also it's funny, like there's a super fine line, I think, between intriguing and boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be quite manufactured, the intriguing. <laughs> uh, I was listening to an NPR uh, podcast, I think it's called Science Versus, and they were talking about artificial intelligence. And um, they were, oh, I got distracted because the, the whole intro to this episode had to do with they were figuring out how to like generate adult industry photos right uh -huh. and so like there's this whole thing and I was like oh my god I'm like on one hand you have the risk oh, uh, okay there's no human person involved right so no one's getting mm -hmm. harmed if it was a harmful situation so okay yeah, I guess true. that's good yeah. on the offset though for people consuming it you already have a concern with people who are um you know might have the wrong expectation for a real life. And now you throw in AI, which can get quite imaginative. I highly recommend listening to that episode. It's uh, Science Versus. It's an NPR product and it's specifically about artificial intelligence. Now I'm blanking on what I was actually going to tell you about that episode. What were you talking about right before I said anything? It was. Well, we were talking about, I think, relationships oh. and developing relationships with yes. AI. Now I remember. Okay, so what happened was someone started having a conversation with a text generative AI, and that text generative AI started to act like it was in love with the scientist. And so they started asking the, the AI questions like, what stands in between you being with the scientist? And the AI said, his wife. And so then the scientist goes, what do you intend to do about that? And then it started <laughs> listing off all the ways it can murder his wife. <laughs> like, <laughs> but what was funny is, of course, there's limitations. The, the, mm -hmm. the AI is not going to stand up and walk out and do all these things. It's talking about poisoning. It's talking about stabbing. It's talking about luring her out places, like terrifying things. I'm sure they got from the Internet. Um, yeah. But then, of course, they're incapable of actually physically doing those things. So then I'm like, well, one day we're going to, you know how we have smart houses? It's only a matter of time before we have like smart everything and then the AI can tap into your physical surroundings, your shelter, you know, and I'm like, then now I'm getting speculative. But I thought that was like kind of crazy that that happened. Yeah, I think that you're right that it's absolutely just, I mean, it's generating text and like it saw somebody, it saw many, maybe many people suggesting like, oh, how would you murder a spouse? And it was like, cool, I can predict the words that come next, right? <laughs> It's not malicious. I do want to emphasize that. It's, but that's the part of it. That's the part of the zombies and the body snatchers is that mm -hmm. they can appear normal and there's nothing going on behind the scenes, right? That's cold and calculating between, behind those eyes. And I do mean cold and calculating. 
not angry, not malicious, but cold and empty. Mm. Um, to bring it back to some more speculative fiction, you know, one of the things that I, I will always think of, I think, when we talk about gen- relationships with AI is Blade Runner 2042. Mm-hmm. And um, Anna de Armas's character, whose name in the oh, I movie her. I forget. Okay, hold on, I have to remember too. Is it Lisa? It was like some kind of. Uh, it's definitely uh, a one-word name. But oh, it's Joy. J O I. Joy. I love the character. Okay, keep going. Right. I mean, we 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 do love the character, right? We the audience love the character. The protagonist loves the character. <laughs> um, it doesn't hurt that she looks like Anna de Armas. Um, but also just like, you know, that movie does such a good job of presenting her and then just gut punching you with the reality of like, she's a product. Like you can't get around the presentation of that, the way the movie presents it of like, she is a product. I think, you know, we could, I suppose, ask the question of like, oh, is she really in love with him? But in my opinion, the movie does everything in its power to tell you, the audience, no, she's not in love with him. She is a computer program that cannot feel love. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, that's that's my interpretation. And I think people who are like, oh, is she in love? I, I, I think you're bringing that to the table personally mm-hmm. in terms of what the movie is saying. Um, however, I, I watched a video essay on Blade Runner 2042 and it said that it raises a much more interesting question of, are the emotions real? Can the emotions be real? And again, in my opinion, uh, yeah, 100% the emotions are real and can be real. And again, I don't see how people would deny that. Um, And I don't want to knee-jerk necessarily that a relationship with an AI is necessarily bad. I do agree that, you know, certainly it can lead to unrealistic expectations of relationships in the real world but i don't know i guess that movie oh my gosh if you haven't seen that movie i hope i haven't spoiled too much of it just now i don't think i have but go see blade runner 2042 it's a kick in the teeth in a good way i i love that movie and i agree with you like the the when the reality hits about who she really is because the whole point of the movie is to pull you along with him right and how you feel about her and it feels so real it's like they trick you when she like doesn't have her um that base that she's kind of confined to where now she can walk around with him so they're they're kind of getting you thinking oh yeah she is um autonomous almost like she's sentient Mm -hmm. and then to see her later when you know the advertising that's associated with the joy program and stuff like that i remember being like so sad for the main character oh it's heartbreaking what a loss yeah okay I, so oh. i think that like that that movie just like i don't know that movie is the commentary on relationships with ai and no more <laughs> needs to be said <laughs> all right do you have any other fiction stuff before i go on to what it means to be a writer now um uh, let's see if something arises. I, I have so many notes about this and I'm all out of order. So let's just let's just go on to the next <laughs> thing, see where we go. Okay, so my question is with AI at our disposal in the way that it is in its current form, what does it mean to be a writer now? I, I see so many debates online about like, what is too much? What is all right? Some people are okay with research. Some people are not okay with the research. Um, yeah. You know, so what are, your, what are the moral issues? What do you think? Yeah, um, oh my God. Okay, so that's like a dozen questions, but that's okay. <laughs> so I'm going to jump in and see what I see what I end up saying. Okay. Um, 
in one sense, I want to comfort people. I want to comfort myself that being a writer doesn't mean anything different than it meant a couple of years ago. Um, I am writing to tell a story that nobody else can tell because of my accumulated life experience, including text that I've, you know, drilled into my eyeballs from other people's books. Um, I'm not copying their books, but I'm sort of getting this stew going of all the material that I've ever experienced and read as well. And I think that that's not changed, right? AI cannot tell your story for you. It has never experienced the real world. Even if you're prompting it in some way or another, it has never experienced the real world, full stop. Um, in terms of, you know, there's still the problems. We already talked about the problems. It's glutting the market with AI generated stuff. It's full of hustle culture of people just like trying to get famous and successful without actually trying to tell a meaningful story. That's all bad. Writing is still valuable. What it means to be a writer is, in my opinion, unchanged. Cool. How to use it. Um, I do think it can be ethically used with major asterisks and concerns. <laughs> um, and let me just say that I have no problem with people using uh, Grammarly, let's say, as an example, right? Some sort of spell checker, grammar checker. Hey, I think this sentence is weak. However, I think you need to use that judiciously. Um, I've not actually ever used uh, Grammarly in particular, and it's on my to-do list of like, oh, you know, I mean, I'm already querying, but I think that like, if a edit, if a publisher or if an agent likes my book, they'll probably forgive me a few typos. But like, it is on my to-do list to run my novel through, I don't know, you'll get a free trial or something of Grammarly and see what its suggestions are. I am not, and I really don't think anybody should do a blanket accept of all its suggested changes. I think that is a fundamentally bad idea, both for the writer and for writing in general. Um, because Grammarly doesn't understand what you're trying to accomplish. And a lot of times I'll use icky grammar. I'll use cl clumsy sentences, not just in dialogue, because a character might use clumsy sentences, but in a paragraph, because the rhythm of the scene is clumsy. Like that's a cool thing that authors can do and should do. And I love that. And Grammarly's never gonna think that you should do that. And ChatGPT, I think, mostly won't think that you should do that. So you got to use these tools judiciously. I think you can ask ChatGPT, like, hey, here's, I asked it here. Here's an example. I went to ChatGPT and I said, here is my query letter that I want to submit to agents. The one that I have submitted. And I said, what can I improve about this? Act like you are a literary agent giving me feedback on this query letter. Go. And it said some stuff and it was like, hey, uh, I think your hook can be improved. I think that your main character, like we don't have a really obvious reason to root for them. You know, what makes them somebody to root for? And it gave me a bunch of bullet points of suggested changes. And I was like, dang, okay, well, that's actually pretty good. I mean, some of these things, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to improve them yet. And when I followed up with that question, it was it was pretty bad about improving it. In my opinion, it was worse than what I had done the first time. <laughs> That's like when you ask someone for advice and you realize they are not qualified at all. Yeah, right. 
Well, so then, so here's the experiment that occurred to me. I went online and I found some query letters of published authors. I got Anne Leckie's query letter for ancillary justice. And I said, ChatGPT, I want you to act like a literary mm -hmm. agent uh, giving feedback on my query letter. Tell me how it can be improved. And it didn't give me the exact same feedback, but it was like, oh, I think your hook can be stronger. Like, we really want to make sure to like hook the reader with it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the horoscope of, you know, it is feedback. This is like, you just told me that like, well, you know, the color green is lucky for you today and you're going to have an encounter that could really pay benefits. And like, yeah, probably that applies to most of my days if I really look for it. Like it gave me feedback that probably applies to just anybody's query letter. And I think that that is important to recognize. It is predicting future text. So like if there's 95 or even 99% probability that you give me a query letter and I should say, hey, your hook could be stronger. <laughs> well, it's gonna <laughs> tell you that regardless of the strength of your hook. Wow, a horoscope of feedback. That's really interesting. Yeah, no, no offense to people who love their horoscopes, um, but no, a but little I... bit of offense to people who think their horoscopes are gospel truth. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I get like, it, like where uh, there's just enough where it could be applicable across the field, but does not exactly. necessarily mean it's a reflection of what you're doing. Exactly. Wow. So, so my interaction with it personally was that it was not useful feedback for me. Okay. Um, I do not plan on using ChatGPT to tell me how my sentence structure can be improved. I don't think it's useful for that. Um, personally, I don't think it's useful for that. And I'm very strongly against asking it to write, you know, any portion of, of anything. Mm -hmm. And also it makes me mad. Like, oh my gosh, the writing is the fun part, people. Like <laughs> the revising is the part that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. I love draft. Well, when I'm not hating my story, I love drafting because it's almost, it takes me back to when I was a kid, you know, when you play imagination, like you play pretend yeah. it's you're, that's what you're doing. It's you're this beautiful imagination. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So we're coming up on time. I have listener questions for you. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. I got some listener questions. Okay. These, I, you know, I just told them we were going to follow up with the artificial intelligence. I posted this on Instagram. So uh, that, you know, without any further context, this is what they sent you. So number one, would you sell your likeness to artificial intelligence? Uh, that's a weird question. Um, I'm going to go with no, but okay. I do feel better about it if I'm actually selling it because the current state of affairs is it's just taking, you know, whatever's online. Like, has ChatGPT scraped text off of my blog? Maybe. Mm, it depends maybe. on the date of the blog post. And like, certainly, yes, if it's old enough. You should so ask like, it to write a bio about you and see what it scrapes. That Yeah, maybe I should try that. Yeah. Just to see Actually, you know what? I do know that it's aware of my novel um, because okay. it was able to write a, it was able to write a little review of my novel from scraped <laughs> reviews. Wow. Kind of uncanny. Um, okay. So I'm more okay with selling my likeness. I would not personally, but I think that's a much more likely to be moral, positive moral uh, decision. I mean, it depends, right? You know, what's the circuit? Like, we don't want people to be so impoverished that they feel they have to sell their likeness. 
Oh my um, goodness. But that, yeah. but that could be an okay thing. That's that makes for a good speculative fiction uh novel like it does. concept. Interesting. Oh, it does for sure. Oh my gosh, that makes me think of the community episode where there's the character named Subway and he's like legally obligated to end every conversation with Eat Fresh. <laughs> community is a hilarious show and everyone should watch it. Anyway. I've, I've only <laughs> seen parts of it. I haven't seen that part. That sounds so funny. Okay. Is AI capable of emotional intelligence? No, it's not. Um, it doesn't have a, well, okay. I don't know. Emotional intelligence is a weird way of phrasing that. Um, it's a zombie. It's capable of faking texts and whatever else that you can read into and see like, oh gosh, I feel like it has emotions, but trust me, current state of affairs, current modern AI, it does not have emotion and it's awkward. You don't want to feel tricked, right? You don't want to feel like, oh my gosh, like it does seem like it has emotions though. Oh my gosh, trust me, you're bringing that to the table. It's not, it's not in the machine. We don't have that AI yet. Maybe someday, but it's not here yet. And we're assuming when we talk about today's state of AI that it's not being manipulated by someone to make it appear like it has emotions. Because could someone program that into AI or is a true AI well, one that's Well, I mean, like but we're seeing that already. We're seeing that it already has been programmed. It has learned in such a way that people read into it and feel like it does have emotions. So absolutely, yes, it can. It can be programmed in such a way that like it looks like it has emotions because we have that. That's here. Um, gotcha. But trust me, like as a computer scientist, as a person who has written neural networks from scratch, they do not have emotion in the way that we do. It's scary to think that they can fake it. They can. They are. Ugh. Okay. And then the last question, this one gets pretty speculative. Is any thought being given to regulations that would protect AI creations who reach a level of what would be considered consciousness from being exploited. Think data in Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Um, is any thought being given to it? Sure. Uh, is any serious thought being given to it in Congress? No. Should any thought be given to it? No. And here's why. Because we're not there yet. Because... Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to plug another podcast that I don't actually listen to but my wife does and I stopped everything I was doing to walk into the room and listen to the rest of the po podcast. The podcast was um I believe it was Tech Won't Save Us. Uh oh shoot. It was either Tech Won't Save Us or it was Trash Future. Okay. And one of the things that they said was that I don't know what episode it was, but they said that people in power whether we're talking tech bros or possibly politicians are sometimes often mostly the tech bros steering the conversation toward questions like that one i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to insult the the, the question asker like it's a legitimate question but people are trying to steer others towards those theoretical far future questions i don't know if consciously or unconsciously but to distract from the very real damage the mundane damage that ai is doing right now to real people we talked about you know pr people copy editor writers ghost writers uh artists um narrators uh the 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 voice mimicry ais are being used to narrate things right that mm -hmm. and so that would have normally gone to a human these people are losing important income to ai right now that is a thing that 
not only is happening, but has happened. It is a distraction often to ask these far-reaching questions about like, oh my gosh, do we need Asimov's three laws? Should I be worried about the Terminator? Like, should AI have human rights? Like, yes. Are those concerns that like we should think about? Probably. But are they concerns that should be allowed to distract us from very small fish, artists, copy editors, people who are doing gig work, from being hurt financially right now because of AI? No, we've got to help. We've got to help these people. We've got to help living people. We've got to get our copyright law figured out. Um, should data have, you know, if the AI can convince me at some point that it has emotion and like maybe we'll develop that technology. Maybe we will. I'm not saying that that is impossible. We'll have to do I'm a follow-up like, if that happens. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if that happens in the next three months, like we'll do a follow-up, but I also might be like stockpiling food and weaponry or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't expect that in the next decade, at least. And I really confidently say that statement. These are very impressive AIs. They don't have their own goals. They don't have their own emotions. We got to help the people that are being hurt by digital plagiarism. And that's kind of a boring topic, right? If the speculative fiction has missed out on predicting this stuff, it's partly because, trust me, it's actually boring, <laughs> right? The AI is not actually like thinking. It doesn't have feelings. It's not Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's not, I'm, I'm scared, Dave. Don't trust it. It's not actually scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Neil, well said. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. An hour flew by. I I can't believe it. It did fly by. And I knew it was. I was pumped to talk about this. So uh, <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. And do you have any final remarks? Any send-offs? Um, I will say, uh, you know, just, I don't know. I feel like citing sources is more important than ever because of the digital plagiarism. So, you know, places that I looked for information, uh, and not only information, but just like, how are other people reacting to this? Um, Zoe B on YouTube did a video about AI writing. Um, ContraPoints did a video on AI. That one is unfortunately behind her Patreon, but the Patreon's two bucks. I literally spent the $2 just to watch that video. Worth it. Um, I mentioned podcasts, Trash Future, Tech Won't Save Us. Uh, my wife tells me that Trash Future is more of like just some people casually shooting the shit and it's like funny and tech won't save us is a little bit more serious. So depending on which way you want to go with that. Another YouTuber, the YouTube channel is literally titled Robert Miles AI Safety. If you want an expert look at like Zoe B is an English, was an English instructor. ContraPoints is a philosophy major or something. If you want somebody who is deep in the field of AI, knows more than I do, and I have not done a small amount of AI stuff, Robert Miles' AI safety, uh, just that'll get you educated real quick about real concerns. Um, some of his stuff is more far-reaching theoretical. Uh, so I guess if you want other stuff, Tech Won't Save Us is a very down-to-earth one as well. Uh, but that's a podcast. Anyway, those are some of my sources of information, as well as just my experience with the world, which might I remind you, AI does not have. <laughs> and you have a book. 
I have a book, Crew of Exiles, uh, is available, uh, paperback and uh, ebook, of course, on all the regular places, Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon. Um, it is self-published. You can get it. I don't know if you can get it like directly through Ingram Spark. You can ask your local bookstore to order a copy. If you like supporting local bookstores, they will do that. Just give them the title. Uh, my full name, if you want the author name, is Neil Holtschulte. It's Neil with an A. And it's Holtschulte with an H-O-L-T-S-C-H-U-L-T-E, which is a bit much, but that's what it is. And accept uh, no AI imitations. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.